welcome to the Crux Points podcast, focused on surviving and thriving in a healthcare world where the consumer is in control. My name is Steve Koch, and I am the Senior Director of the Healthcare Initiative here at Caston Hugh, and I am joined today, as I always am, by Russ Maloney, the Director of Strategy at Caston Hugh. Russ, what's going on today? Well, Steve, today's a particularly good day. How are you doing? I am doing great as well, and you know why it's a good day? It's a good day because we're going to be talking about retail health. We love talking about retail health. And it's interesting because the word retail and healthcare can mean a lot of things to different people. And for today's guest, retail has become a core tenant of her health system. Christy McCarran is the Senior Vice President of Retail and Community-Based Care for Multicare Health System in Tacoma, Washington. She has 36 years of healthcare experience, all of it in multicare, and 29 of those years have been in the management and administrative world. Today, we're going to talk to Christy about how she and Multicare define retail healthcare and how they're executing their retail strategy through retail clinics, telehealth, online scheduling, and their new urgent care brand, Indigo. Russ, it's going to be a great show. What can listeners look forward to hearing about? Well, Christy's going to tell us all about how success in healthcare is no longer just about referring patients into your health system. She's also going to talk about how she's had to shift her approach to marketing and even staffing to launch a new retail health brand. And she's going to tell us more about her vision for becoming the Starbucks of urgent care and the Amazon of healthcare. It's going to be a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss a minute of it. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my privilege. So let's start this conversation today by talking about the definition of retail health. Uh, we've heard it described as many things, but how do you and Multicare define it? So, our de- our, the Multicare definition for retail is that retail healthcare is engaging directly with consumers for healthcare-related products and services in a price-sensitive environment. That's our formal definition. We understand that patients are making decisions all of the time based on how easy it is to get services, what time of day, how much it costs. And so we are trying to develop a full complement or array of services that meet many different needs of consumers who are out there. And in fact, we are moving from calling everybody patients and trying to very intentionally use the word consumers, because that's says to us that people are making choices, and we have to pay attention to that. That's a really interesting perspective. It's something that definitely comes up a lot in terms of are they consumers or are they patients, and and, uh, it sounds like you've made a very deliberate choice. And I'd be curious about how Multicare got on this path. How did you start down this path towards retail healthcare. It's something we talk about a lot, but you don't see a lot of systems as focused on retail healthcare uh, as you are. You probably don't meet a lot of people with the, with the same title as you, right? That's exactly right. I think we started this journey about two years ago, and it actually came with um, the arrival of a new CEO who is much more forward-thinking than we have been in the past. But what he challenged us to do was think about where we needed to be in two years, five years, ten years to set ourselves up for success in this new healthcare environment. So all of our planning and our strategies are around trying to remain relevant in this new healthcare landscape. This is about changing the way you think about how you're going to provide services it's no longer about bringing services and patients into your hospitals. It's really, we flip this on its ear. This is about looking outward and putting the patient in the front and saying, what is it you need in order to have the kind of experiences and healthcare services that you want? And it's with that backdrop um, that we have designed multiple channels that we're actually executing on all at the same time in order to meet that need. There isn't one demographic that we're going after. It's, it's across a lifetime. And as you think about consumerism, you have to pay attention to the age group that you're talking about. 
So if it's my mother who is in her 80s, obviously she's going to be a little less tech savvy. She's going to want a relationship with her primary care physician. So we do things that that make it easier for her to connect with her primary care physician. But I also have a 32-year-old daughter who could care less about a long-term relationship with a primary care provider. What she wants is access, she wants it easy, and she wants it cheap. She wants it at a price that she can actually afford. And so as you think about that and as people move through the spectrum of their lives, there are different things that they're going to need. And every um, channel that we have opened up in the last two years is targeted at a different demographic. Uh, The other thing that I'm paying a lot of attention to, besides increasing our geographic presence to remain relevant, is also about access. Um, Healthcare systems across the country are all having significant access issues relative to primary care. There's just not enough primary care physicians to meet the need of the population. And as the boomers age and our parents get older, um, the need for more primary care becomes apparent. So we have to think of different ways that we can have options for people when getting into their primary care physician is not um, something they can do easily. And so um, as I talk more about some of the channels that we've opened up, I hope that's one of the things that you'll be able to hear as I talk, that it's really about um, opening up the access and giving people choices. The other thing that I want to say about our approach is that to remain relevant in this healthcare environment means that as you shift the focus away from your hospitals, you're very intentionally looking at how am I How are we going to manage populations of patients? And as you do that, um, you start putting services into regions where you never would have thought you would before. So, for example, um, I'm based out of Tacoma, Washington, and we have very purposefully put a lot of services up in the Seattle market. And the question I get asked by not only our Seattle competitors, but also our medical staff and and employees is, what is MultiCare doing? Why are you going into that market, putting urgent cares and retail clinics when we don't have hospitals to refer to? And so what that means is that the thinking is still traditional in orientation. They're thinking that strategies are around referring to your tertiary hubs or your hospitals. That is absolutely not what we're doing. This is about increasing a geographic presence so that you remain relevant and big enough so that you can appeal to payers, um, so that you can appeal to other healthcare systems. You need a certain amount of scale um, to be relevant. That's really interesting, Christy. And I was really struck by uh, what you had said about putting the patient at the center of uh, your strategic thinking and truly having a patient-centric approach uh, when developing new strategies. And, you know, I, I've, we, we talk with healthcare systems about ways in which they're putting their patient at the center of the process. You talked a lot about demographics and the, the, the ways that the needs of people are, are different across generations. Maybe you could speak a little bit about what it is that multi-care does to, to truly put the patient at the center of the process and the ways in which you engage community in that sort of a way. Okay. So we have taken a very measured approach in looking at different um, demographics or different age groups. It's really about age groups. That's where I see the biggest difference. So the ability to access that service from home, from their car, from wherever, and at a time of day that's convenient to them. So in the 20 to 30 block, that age group tends to want at least a virtual option. But if they need to go in and be physically seen, they want a service that actually is easy to get into, but at this point, they're very price conscious. And so our partnership with the Ready Clinics to provide retail clinics in our markets um, was to meet the need of that, that group of consumers wanting some price differentials that could 
um, meet the needs of those that are in high deductible plans that are paying out of pocket. And so we have a spectrum of services that we offer that start with e-visits, which is more like um, a text messaging kind of format, and that's through a partnership with Zipnosis. And that, that service is offered for $25. Um, then it moves up into virtual urgent care. That service is offered for $40. And then you move up into retail uh, clinic where you actually go in, and that's sort of middle of the road, and, and we have these posted on the Ready Clinic sites, but they range somewhere between, let's say, $65 and $85. The next service would be our urgent care, and we have a new offering called Indigo, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But that one is service-oriented, but in terms of a price point, it probably comes in around $125 on average. So what you can see here is we have a full spectrum of pricing options for people to choose from. When you have that many choices, it gets confusing for people because they don't always know which is the option that is most appropriate for them. So then um, on the backside, we had to create a whole marketing campaign around choices to help educate not only our employees but the consumers in our market. Now, when you get into the age groups of around um, 40, let's say 35 to 45, these are savvy consumers who maybe have a little more disposable income, and what they're looking for is a level of service that, so I'm going to call this the Starbucks of urgent care, and that's what we were trying to accomplish with our Indigo urgent care. Indigo is a play on words. It's for individuals on the go. So it was recognizing that these are busy people who want to get in and out, but they do expect a high level of service and maybe an environment or ambiance um, that they would get when they go to Starbucks. Now remember, I live in the Seattle region, and so we've got Starbucks on every corner. And so people are used to seeing that. And so that was sort of our mantra. We are going to be the Starbucks of urgent care. And we launched our first one in June. And within two weeks, we started seeing volume um, levels that we had predicted after um, year one. And even more interesting is that um, this population tends to use Yelp a lot. And so they look at reviews, and we have gotten some fabulous reviews. And it, it was very satisfying because it's, the people that responded spoke to the fact that what they liked about it was that they were greeted at the door by a healthcare person. Um, we used an iPad, so it was more high-tech. We didn't have anything on paper. They got in, they got out, and they really appreciated that it didn't look like a healthcare facility. And that was absolutely what we were trying to accomplish. So while it was a bit of a gamble on our part, we believe it's paying off. Yeah, so I've given you sort of an idea of some of the channels that we've gotten into. Um, we're very big into urgent care. We have just acquired 14 immediate clinics in the Seattle market. So we are furthering our ability to reach consumers in a, in a larger geographic than what is typically thought of as our primary care base, which is more around the Tacoma area. So I'm really interested in um, this Indigo launch and the sort of contemporary way that you approached the patient experience. Just kind of keeping in line with the context of, you know, putting the patient at the center of the process. Did MultiCare include, the, include people from the community or patients or family members in that design process? Was that like, uh, 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 did, you, did you engage with uh, a group of them for feedback or... Um, it, it, what role did the patient play in the development of Indigo? Well, we tested the concept on um, a couple of focus groups, but um, we didn't do that in, when we stood this up. And, and that's a bit of a departure from what we usually do, which is exactly what you were suggesting, to go out and um, get consumer groups together or focus groups and ask them the questions and test the concept. I believe that we felt because we understood the population and how they were reacting to the Starbucks and the Nordstroms of the world, 
we knew that if we could create that on the healthcare side, um, we would have something. And so it was a bit of a um, leap of faith, if you will. One of the, um, the memories that I have of beginning the design process was sitting up in, um, with some designers up in Seattle, and we very intentionally used a group of designers that we had never used before. Um, we chose ones that had done things outside of healthcare so that they would develop something different for us. And we did that with our marketing people as well. And as we were all sitting in this room talking about the concept and the design, I said to them at the outset, if what we come up with, and I walk into this facility and I know that it's a multi-care facility, then we have failed because absolutely we didn't want it to look like additional health care. So I think that's a really smart approach. You know, we've, we've heard um, and, and worked with several uh, organizations that have done exactly that. They want a different approach, a different perspective, and, thus, and, and, and so they know that they need to um, bring in uh, uh, a fresh arm, so to speak. Uh, and you know, talk to us a little bit more about the design um, and the approach to the, to the design, because um, you were talking about the way it looks. Um, were there other aspects to the way that the service was designed or the technology was designed that encompassed something more around the experience in total versus, you know, things that we might traditionally associate with design, which is just like the visual side of things and the colors and the textures? Uh, was there a deliberate focus in designing the service delivery uh, in, in, in ways that one might think about in terms of deliberate design? So when we started this approach, there were several areas that we that or understood needed to be different. One of them was design. One of them was marketing. One of them was um, the operations and the staffing. And so in all four spheres, we knew we had to think differently if we were going to deliver on this promise of meeting the needs of this particular consumer group that we were going after. Um, and so, so we, I talked a little bit before about the design and how we brought in somebody totally outside of healthcare to help us create a look and a feel that made you feel like you were going into a coffee shop as opposed to a, cl a hospital clinic or even a healthcare clinic. And, and I believe we've accomplished that, especially based on the Yelp reviews um, that I've read. Um, they, they call it a futuristic ship. That was one person's description of it. Um, another one would use words like, wow, because it, it was the reaction that it is different, and they weren't expecting that. Um, and I believe it delighted them, which is always the word that marketing people want to hear. When it came to um, marketing itself, um, traditional hospital marketing tends to kind of create an ad campaign and think they're done. That doesn't work in this new world where uh, in a retail environment, you have to do marketing continuously. And a lot of it is needs to be digital. One of the things that we're learning from our patients that are coming through Indigo is we're asking them, how did you hear about us? And while 25% of them said they learned from um, information we sent out, 43% um, of them heard about us from the Internet. Now, that's huge um, because that tells us that that's the approach you need to um, really focus on um, if you're going to get some pull through. And so we've done, we continue to do and optimize um, AdWords and banners and all kinds of things. We've done some geo-marketing. So as many ways as you can optimize the digital approach, that's what we're doing. Um, and that's ongoing. It cannot be, let's do it two times this year. It has to be an ongoing effort. Um, I now have my own marketing person for all of retail. And that, that just underscores the importance of having an individual that thinks differently about how you're going to market in this retail space. Um, the other area that was different in terms of how we approached it was who we hired. 
Now, ordinarily, you're just, you, you put it out there and then you interview all these people and if they seem like a good fit, you hire them. Um, and, then, and you're looking specifically for a certain skill set. This time, though, the skill set we were looking for was whether they were personable and whether they could deliver on customer service in the way that we intended. Now, that, that truly was a departure for us because we have never interviewed and had that being the defining um, piece of information about that individual that we were going to use to make a decision about whether to hire them. So, so I've talked about our design, I've talked about our marketing, I've talked about our hiring practices, and then the last one that was really different was how are we going to organize our operations so that their experience is efficient and it feels, and it, it's not fragmented like it often feels um, in in our, our typical healthcare experiences now. And so we have somebody that actually greets them at the door, shakes their hand, and then asks them if they want coffee or tea and takes them back into a room and sits there with an iPad and takes their information. Now, the thing, people, I have sat and watched this process happen. When somebody is greeted at the door, like they're walking into your home, their eyes just open up because they, they can't believe what they're seeing. It's not what they expect. They expect to have to figure out where the reception desk is and find a person behind it. But instead, we are greeting them at the door and taking them back. And it is that same person that stays with them throughout their entire experience. So that, too, is different in how we're approaching it. Christy, when you say that that person is the, same, is the, is the one person that stays with them, does that person that greets them also, uh, I mean, are there follow-ups to these, to these uh, 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 patient visits, like 24, 48 hours after the visit, or is, are those communication points digital, just like the other um, technology aspects of, of Indigo? Well, at, at this point, they're doing phone calls because they want to have that um, warm customer experience continue through that follow-up. So the next day, they follow up with all the patients that are seen. And it could be either the doctor that follows up or the, we call them clinical concierge, which is um, an MA or an LPN that follows up with them. So yeah, 100% of them get followed up with. The other thing that we are... I'm going to be able to execute on by the end of the year is our customer relationships management platform, our CRM strategy. And I know many organizations are struggling with how to um, implement that right now, and we are no different. But that that's, um, uh, would be the ability for us to optimize uh, digital channels to follow up with these patients. Because what I believe will be the differentiator is um, when you have that first touch with the patient, what you need to try and do is create loyalty. And you can create loyalty over a lifetime if you become the Amazon of healthcare and anticipate what their needs are. So think about when you go onto Amazon, all of a sudden they're offering you things to buy that you didn't even know you needed, but then you thought and went, oh, yeah, so we want to do that. So it's fairly predictable over the course of somebody's lifetime what kinds of information they will need, particularly women. So they will come in in their early 20s, but by the time they're in their 30s and you'll figure out that maybe they're starting to have their families and you either give them information about obstetricians or midwifery services and then you follow with pediatric services, you give them information about childhood development and milestones um, then they, you're moving them into other aspects. Let's say they're in their 40s, and pretty soon you're going to start talking to them about getting their knee replaced. So you, you get my point here. You can anticipate certain milestones and um, life events that trigger the kind of healthcare information that people will need. So if you followed or learned the lessons from the Amazons of the world, that can be applied to healthcare. And all of that will help keep people. Um, tied to your system, not because you are making them crazy with all their contact points, but because you're creating value. Um, they know that you are a healthcare system that has what they need and anticipate that need. So that's sort of the philosophy behind what we w are trying to deploy here in terms of our CRM strategy. 
it's really fascinating and, and such a unique approach to both uh, access and, and retail care as a whole. And, and Christy, I'd be curious, you know, you talked a lot earlier about the fact that, that oftentimes these efforts are based on how are we going to fill our hospital beds? How are we going to gain more referrals? Uh, and you talked about how Indigo and some of your other retail efforts aren't as focused on that. They're more focused on expanding your geographic presence. But at the end of the day, that it is important to have those referrals and to build uh, relationships with these uh, patients and, and customers, as you said, um, that go beyond the urgent care or the retail-based care. So what, what efforts are being done there to bring them into the system? I think it goes back to that CRM strategy that we were um, speaking about and um, to keep that conversation or touch point going with those patients so that when they, when they need to have a primary care follow-up visit or a specialty visit, we can get them or, or actually make the appointment for them before they leave our urgent care. That's what we try to do. Um, if they're outside of our market where we have primary care physicians or specialists, then we have healthcare partners that we are aligned with in those markets who we turn to um, to help provide those services. So that, too, is part of a larger strategy around geographic presence because we know we can't do this alone, nor do we intend to. Um, it's all about the partnerships that you create either digitally or with other healthcare systems and for us, across the entire Pacific Northwest, that will increase our geographic presence. We don't have to do everything, but what we do have to do is create that um, partnership so that we touch populations of individuals. That's great. How do you see Indigo growing? What what's are the long-term plans? I know there's uh, based on what I was looking at at the website, it looks like there's about three locations open now. Where, where, where's the growth going? Well, we only have three, but we're opening up. We will have eight by the end of the year, um, and we will have 11 more by the end of 2017. Wow. And we are just now beginning sort of our next phase of work to say what's next. And so the decision will be, what markets do we, do we believe we can go into? Where do we have existing partnerships with other healthcare systems where this might be useful? What are we trying to accomplish and in which geography? So those conversations are going. So we, we absolutely will have more indigos. Um, right now, um, Multicare has uh, a significant proportion of the urgent cares within the Seattle-Tacoma market. We're actually the highest one. And, and that came in part because of our um, acquisition of the immediate clinic. Is there a thought to, to convert those into indigos? No, not at present. That doesn't mean it might not um, morph somehow, but I don't know that we've defined it. Um, the immediate clinics have brand identity in the Seattle market, mm. and they also have a focus on occupational medicine. So it doesn't make sense to me to change um, their brand at this point because they do, um, they're very profitable. They do a good business. And so until we have a better understanding, if, if Indigo works better than immediate clinics or are they drawing from different demographics, I mean, we, we, we haven't um, had the immediate clinics long enough. And actually, we don't close until December on that acquisition. So we don't have enough information yet to even make that decision. Right. We do know we have something that our concept around Indigo is very successful. But it may be that the immediate clinic concept is very successful. And in that case, we would just have two different urgent care platforms. But we also have some traditional urgent cares back in the Tacoma market um, that see a higher level of acuity or sicker patients. So they function a little bit, not like emergency departments, but they see much sicker patients than what you see at Indigo or at um, immediate clinics. So we actually have three different urgent care platforms. Are you seeing in, in the Seattle-Tacoma area a proliferation of the freestanding emergency departments as, as some uh, geographic areas are seeing? I, I believe it's starting, and um, I... It's something that we are, are talking about, um, and so I believe 
that there will be more freestanding EDs in the market within the next year. What will be interesting is to see how many of our competitors or even our healthcare friends um, believe that that's a channel they want to um, exploit as well. But absolutely, um, that was a good question because it, it's yet another channel for people to seek services. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I was going to say too that um, the 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 multi-brand um, urgent care or retail-based uh, clinic is is going to put more of an emphasis on sharper positioning strategies, right? Um, across those across those brands, um, which uh, it doesn't seem like it would be an issue potentially with the three that uh, are, are currently under uh, multi-care with the urgent care and then the uh, the indigo and then was it immediate health? Immediate clinic, yeah. Immediate clinic, yeah. Um, and so that's a, a big challenge sometimes for healthcare organizations to, to really have um, sharp delineations between uh, 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 service positioning in the market. Um, but I think that indigo is... is um, I, I, I'm not surprised by its success. Honestly, I think that it's it's wonderful and fortunate that you're able to capitalize on that. I think it's going to be an inspiration for our listeners in terms of trying to um, bring something that people are actually looking for, something that draws upon um, successes in other industries. Uh, and uh, at its heart, really, like you said, it's taking a leap of faith. Um, and that's at the heart of I mean, that's at the heart of innovation right there is the risk involved. But um, it's, it's wonderful to see how um, Indigo is, is performing so early in the game. Right. You know, uh, I think one of the things that we have been able to do well is execute on several fronts all at the same time. We're not taking any one of these retail channels and doing it sequentially. We're actually doing them all at the same time. So in order to do that, it means you have to have partners. And so that's why in the virtual space, we have doctors on demand, and we also have a relationship with Zipnosis. Um, it means that sometimes we hire consultants to, to come in and help us do the startup so that we can get to market sooner. This is all about execution. I think that what we're coming up with is not that hard. But the differentiator for us is that we're able to execute rapidly um, in the market. So as you understand retail, um, this we won't always have this as a differentiator because we will be copied here in short order. But for the time being, um, it feels like we're a little out front. Now, when you're out front, you also get a lot of criticism. And one of the barriers um, <laughs> that... I've had to deal with is our own physicians who don't understand what we're doing either. Um, and so a lot of education around the fact that we've had, we are moving from a traditional hospital-centric approach to more of a retail um, improve access approach. And do they understand it yet? Well, I think they're getting there, but, you know, they're not... Ha happy with how healthcare is changing. I think they would like to see it remain the same. And, and that's just not the world we live in. Absolutely. And I think that brings up a, a good point to, to, to end this portion of our conversation. But as you said, you're going to be copied. And I think that's probably inevitable. Um, but in that spirit, as, as our listeners are, are thinking about all of the great efforts you're making in retail health, what advice would you give a, a peer of yours who would like to see their organization have more of a focus on retail health, and how do they approach that to, to gain alignment amongst, uh, amongst their organization to, to make these types of efforts? Well, I think the very first question they have to answer is, where do you see yourself in three years, five years, ten years? What kind of an organization are you going to need to be to be financially viable and relevant in this new marketplace? So that's the first question you have to answer. And then if you believe that a more retail, patient-centric approach is what is needed, then I think you have to very carefully define what retail means to you. 
And that's something that we did from the very beginning because that definition helped guide our design work. And so as we understood retail to be based on patients making choices and choices made on access and on price, you can see that a lot of the examples that I've spoken about um, dovetail to that definition that we created at the beginning. So we've offered a whole um, path of different healthcare options from a low price all the way up to, you know, our future freestanding ED, which will be a whole lot more expensive than a virtual visit or even an e-visit. Right. Well, that's that's great. We we really appreciate you taking this time, Christy, because it, for, for all of us, it's been so fascinating to learn about Indigo and the, the path that you've taken uh, towards this uh, world of retail health and uh, a lot to learn and a lot of great insights. So we're going to move great. on. My pleasure. Absolutely. We're going to move on to our next segment, which is called Talk Back. And this segment gives us an opportunity to hear straight from consumers about their thoughts on these types of subjects in healthcare. Um, and, and in this case, we were talking to folks down here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we wanted to get their perceptions and, and hear about their experiences around retail health, um, especially around retail-based care and urgent care. And so today we talked to Cheryl, who's 51, Lauren, who's 41, Marge, who's 71, Patricia, who's 41, and Steve, who's 49. And the first question we asked them was if they've ever been to a retail-based clinic like Minute Clinic at CVS or a Take Care Clinic or even an urgent care, and if so, what did they think about that in, in comparison to their doctor's office? So here's what Lauren, Cheryl, Patricia, and Marge had to say. I haven't, no, because I have health care, so anything like a flu shot, I would just get through my doctor or nurse. No, I see it, but I haven't. Yeah, I've been to that Minute Clinic before because it's really close to my house, and I will set up a, an appointment for like a routine annual kind of thing, but I do feel like it's difficult to get into your doctor when you have that immediate need of, I'm ill, and I really need something to be handled today. This is the time that I have, or this afternoon. And so I feel like the Minute Clinic's really good for that. And they accept my insurance and everything, so... I find that to be actually quite convenient. I've been to urgent care clinic, but not CVS clinic. And I will tell you, I've gotten great service from urgent care. So the next question we asked is whether they'd be likely to go to a retail-based clinic if they knew that that clinic was sharing their electronic records with their doctor. So here's what Cheryl, Patricia, Marge, and Steve told us. Yes, I've been to an urgent care, not, you know, a pharmacy, but an urgent care where I've gone in, and that's been a good experience. In fact, there were times I could not get into my doctor, so I went in. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. I guess they, they don't share, do they? I don't know if they share. I don't know if I could ask them, or maybe I'm supposed to get a copy of things and take it to my doctor. I don't know. But yeah, I would like it if they shared. That'd be fine with me. I think I would, knowing from previous experience the care that I received from urgent care and like I said I didn't have to wait um, my doctor had told me that morning or my doctor's office had told me it would be 23 days before I could get an appointment to see them I walked into urgent care never calling them and saw them immediately so yes I can say definitely if I knew my records were being shared I would definitely go to urgent care no, I, I would rather see my doctor because I've built a rapport with them. You know, if it's an emergency, obviously the emergency room's there um, or urgent care. But I'd rather see my doctor. He knows me more personally. Even though he, they might have my records, they just don't know me personally. And I've been with my doctor for quite a few years. So being with them, I think um, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable with that doctor. So, Christy, it's interesting because we, uh, we didn't necessarily talk to, to a lot of young people in this case, but, um, but we did hear some of the trends that you spoke about early in our conversation in terms of uh, the relationships people have and then this, the, the seeking of convenience. But, but what did you take away from after listening to the, to the group talk about their experiences? Well, it's absolutely what I would have expected to hear. Um, sometimes 
part of the reason people don't seek other services is because they're not aware of them. So we still have a ways to go in helping people understand what options are available to them. Um, I think what I what I heard, though, was that it's still a problem to get into your primary care physician. Waiting 22 days when you've got a cough that's keeping you up night is just not reasonable. And so these access issues that we have around the country have to be addressed. And that's the need that urgent cares and retail clinics, that's the need that's being filled. So I thought their responses were very encouraging. I also heard that we still have a ways to go to help people recognize that retail clinics are out there. And that's our experience here, too. More people do understand that there are urgent cares out there, but they don't necessarily understand the concept of a retail clinic. You know, uh, Christy, earlier you were talking about how marketing was different for, for Indigo, and you were saying that a significant, perhaps even the majority of, uh, of the marketing efforts are, are digital, digital, digital advertising, digital marketing. So, uh, you know, I think that those familiar with the AdWords and, and uh, keywords and, and, and search um, marketing would uh, agree with me insofar that uh, it's quite competitive and difficult out there with healthcare. So going off of what you said around how some people don't know that you're, that you're, that you're there, you kind of have to educate people that you even exist uh, how how difficult is that for Multicare and its retail uh, its retail establishments out in the Seattle area? And would you be able to share any strategies that you're currently taking to be more visible in that area? Well, I think the biggest challenge for Multicare is that um, we have uh, a traditional marketing department that doesn't always understand how to do retail marketing. We are very fortunate to have a relationship with the Ready Clinics and Rite Aid, and they're retailers. So they have taught us a lot about how to do marketing in this space. Um, what's really interesting to me is that um, they have always done digital marketing, but they haven't done it to the extent um, that they're now doing it in the Seattle market because they learned that Seattle is a lot more tech-savvy than the rest of the country. So that's just sort of an aside, but, but that's what they've learned. But it does tell you that you do need to understand your market and optimize the channel that works. So it's not just about one channel, though. One of the ways that we increased awareness with the retail clinics was to capitalize on the fact that moms were going shopping, um, back-to-school shopping, and that they also needed to do back-to-school physicals. And so we got a truck with a billboard on it and drove it around to all of the places where moms were shopping with their kids, parked it there, and just kept moving it around. And we were advertising our back-to-school physicals for $29. And that brought in a tremendous number of people. But maybe more to the point, it increased awareness. And that was really what we were driving at. So this is about awareness and having people know that you are even there. The, the other thing that we're doing in our market is we have an access center that, that people will call in when they have questions or want to know where to go to get care. And our access people have lists, and they know where to, to direct people. So they will very intentionally direct them to a retail clinic if that's appropriate or an urgent care in their area. So it's multiple channels all at the same time in terms of marketing that you have to execute on. It's not one over the other. It's, it's all of them because different age groups use different channels. We have radio spots. We have TV. We even have some billboard, billboards, which is really kind of traditional marketing. They cost a lot of money, and they're not always that effective. But we, we've, we take a solid look at what our return on investment is in any one of these um, avenues that we're using, and then we try to optimize that the next time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, like you said, it goes back to what people are looking for and what's important to them. And often that changes with uh, their, the, the generation that they're in. You know, going back to our talkback segment, uh, it was Steve who said, not our Steve, <laughs> not the Steve sitting here with me in the studio. <laughs> Uh, it was Steve who said that uh, he'd rather go see his doctor because he had a personal relationship with him. And, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, he's, he's 49, so technically that would be, uh, 
that's that's Gen X ish, right? Top of Gen X. Maybe? Yeah, top yeah. of Gen X. But you know, when we were talking earlier about the e-visits, the telehealth, the text services, Christy, you were when you were talking about those services, um, those are mainly oriented towards what you might, what we all might consider the millennial audience. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. You know, I even find for myself though, and I'm a boomer. I'm not loyal to my physician because it's really about convenience for me and the fact that I don't have a lot of time. So I think for despite the generation, sometimes it boils down to where you are in your life at that point and what you're going to use. I, it was interesting to me that he said that he, wa- he had a personal relationship with his physician and he would go back. Because for me, I'm not willing to wait that long to get in, nor do I want to take a day off work to go sit in a doctor's office. But, you know, maybe some people value that relationship more than their time. So it might just end up, at the end of the day, be where you are in your own personal life. Sure, yeah, and there, there could be additional context there that, that we're not capturing. Maybe he um, has a, a, a chronic illness that might involve a more uh, involved care approach or you know, things of that nature, maybe. You know, the um, other area that we've not talked about is what our physicians um, feel about this. And it's my experience that with our employee group here, they still believe that their patients value that relationship. And while in um, Steve, in your example, was one of those that did, by and large, um, that's not the experience that I'm seeing with others. And, and, across all age groups because once they've tried something different and they see how easy it is, then that's what they're going to do again. Yeah, that's so true. And that's something we find in our research as well, that the convenience is the big winner. People are just too busy. They, they learn, as we've talked about a lot, you know, they're, they're, they learn from their non-healthcare experiences and how all these brands such as Amazon and Starbucks and Target and Apple are, doing everything to make things easy for them and they expect that from healthcare. And once they find something, that's what they want. And those are the lessons that we're trying to learn as we design all of the different kinds of healthcare services that we're putting out there. Like I said before, I want to be the Starbucks of urgent care and the Amazon of healthcare. That's awesome. Well, Christy, we're going to go to our next segment, which is called Flipping the Script. And this is where we want to hear from you about a, uh, a time that maybe you yourself or a friend or family member had a patient experience that affect how you approach your job in healthcare and in retail care specifically. So is there anything that you can share with us? Oh, yeah. Um, and this is very personal. My daughter, who I mentioned before, is, is 32. For a period of time, she was on Medicaid. And what we learned during that experience was that even though you had insurance, it didn't mean you could actually get in to see a doctor. The practice is that you, know, you can't be financially viable if all your patients um, are Medicaid because it doesn't cover expenses. And so, so practices typically have a quota, and if they're beyond that quota, then they don't take further patients. So, I mean, that's just sort of a fact of healthcare at this moment in time. But it became um, particularly poignant for us when she was not able to access services because she has an addiction problem. And now while she's been in recovery for two and a half years, I'm I'm grateful to say, there was a time when um, she needed to get into inpatient rehab and we couldn't get her in because she had Medicaid. So what I had to do as a result of that was tap into my retirement and pay out of pocket to get her the kind of health care services she needed. And while I had resources so I could do that, what became so strong for me was that other people don't have those kind of resources. And so there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about that I have an obligation to design services so that people truly do have access regardless of their ability to pay, which is why I've spent so much time in the last couple of years designing services that are actually affordable. So that despite the fact that you have Medicaid, you actually could pay $25 out of pocket if if you had to. Um, And so it's that personal experience that actually drives me to be sure that people have access to services. And being part of the healthcare system 
Even though I understand why access is limited, on a personal level, it's an affront, and, and I'm very unhappy about it. Well, thank you for sharing that, and that it is, that was a very uh, personal note, but it was also very, it showed, it, it was a great way to show us how these experiences can be so important to patients and in terms of making access available to all people. Uh, and that uh, there are, you know, I'm, I'm glad that your daughter is on that path to recovery, and uh, that is fantastic to hear, but it is also just very a good reminder for all of us that not everybody has those resources, and how can we, in the process of designing services, make sure that we're considering everybody out there. That's the lesson. Well, Christy, we, we'd like to end our conversation, and what a great conversation it's been, with. An amazing but true fact about you. We'd love to just hear something about you that, uh, you know, maybe not healthcare related. We've learned a lot so far about you and your healthcare career, but 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 maybe uh, something else that we can learn a little bit more about you. Anything you'd like to share there? Oh, sure. <clears throat> One of the things that people um, associate with me is that I like to wear hats. Um, it's a family tradition that we wear hats on holidays and birthdays and celebrations. And people groan around here at work because I actually bring my hats to work. Now, there's a, there's a method to my madness, and that is because I find that when people wear hats, especially silly hats, they're actually more creative. And they'll tap into their right brain and be more innovative than they might otherwise. So that's the way that I've um, sort of tied my personal love for hats and family celebrations and utilized it at work to my advantage. I have over a hundred hats. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much, especially because, well, first of all, I, I certainly agree that um, the way that you look or the way that you dress or the way that you express yourself can certainly dovetail or amplify or in some cases subdue your, your creative thinking. Um, so I think that that's super wonderful. But it's just really interesting because I was having the conversation um, with a friend of mine the other day about hats and how Man, we got to bring hats back. People used to wear hats all the time, every day, all yeah. day. And, um, well, Christy, I think maybe you can lead the charge. And we'll follow right behind. <laughs> yeah, I might go out and buy a hat later on today. Yes, I like that idea. Very good. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. What a fantastic conversation. It was. It, I learned so much and, and uh, really inspired by the work that you've been doing and, and definitely blazing new trails. So thank you so much for, for sharing that, uh, that journey with us. That really was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Russ Maloney, for co-hosting and asking all of the right questions. Drew Watkins is our producer and editor, and our next episode will be out Thursday, November 3rd. To keep up with the healthcare consumer until then, subscribe to our Five on Friday newsletter at castandhugh.com or follow us on Twitter at castandhugh. Thanks for listening and have an enlightening day.